Hello and welcome to Telling Stories. My name's James Stupney. This week it's the Forgotten Tag Teams again and Steamboat's 12 tag titles. Ricky Steamboat was an outstanding tag team wrestler before he became a major single star. In fact, you could say one thing led to the other. Ricky Steamboat was uh, a brilliant main eventer and he learned his trade in the Carolinas in the old Crockett promotions with the NWA World Heavyweight Championship and NWA Mid-Atlantic Championships as they were then. This story was for WrestleTalk.tv numerous years ago and it chronicled one of my favourite eras of professional wrestling, which is only really starting to get a historical airing once again with the rise of AEW and hits, how can I put this, borrowing of ideas for the often inspiring Mid-Atlantic region. A fair share of its inspiration from those very tag team titles that the Rock and Roll Express recently lost. So, here we go. The Forgotten Tag Teams, Steamboats, 12 tag titles. While this series has looked lively at the Forgotten Teams of times gone past, this edition deals with one of the most, most underrated tag wrestlers, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He's better known these days for the man who built the Broadway church with the 60-minute man Nature Boy Ric Flair in their classic series of the late 80s of the NWA Heavyweight Championship. He is perhaps the most widely known as the man who crafted alongside Macho Man Randy Savage the WrestleMania 3 semi-main event that will live on as the apex of wrestling quality for the early days of WWF expansion. This article will look at what he got in there and the things he did after. His rise to prominence in the Mid-Atlantic region alongside number one Paul Jones, his mercurial tag team with Native American Jay Youngblood, and the swan song to his tag team career, his involvement in the development of the Hollywood Blondes, and his teams with Dustin Rhodes and Shane Douglas. Steamboat was born Richard Blood Jr. in West Point, New York in 1953. He was a high school amateur making the New York State Championships twice. He learned his wrestling trade in the camps of the AWA. Vern Gagne and the Iron Sheik would be his trainers. Pure wrestling in Minneapolis was seen as a virtue, and it was clear that Steamboat would be an eager student. He made his debut as a pro under his real name in 1976. As was the way of things back then, he moved on quickly to Florida, where Eddie Graham renamed him Ricky Steamboat after Hawaiian wrestler Sammy Steamboat who Blood had a resemblance towards. Graham argued that Blood was a great name for a heel, but Ricky was white meat babyface all the way. Graham's astute observations would be echoed by every promoter the Steamboat would work for in his active wrestling career. Steamboat was a sight to behold for his era. He looked like a pure athlete, dead serious in promos, but with a wide smile that endeared him to the fans, he was a different kind of attraction in the tougher-than-tough man era. When he moved on to mid-Atlantic wrestling run under the auspices of Jim Crockett promotions, he stood out like a sore thumb. He wasn't a stand-still-and-take-it punishment brawler like Wahoo Daniels, nor was he a kiss-stealing limousine-riding playboy like Ric Flair. He was a pure, undiluted good guy, who over the next 20 years would add facets to that character that were simple and believable. He would become a family man. He would project the virtues of hard work and honesty. Most of all, he was a hungry competitor. His work rate was unparalleled at the time, and what a better way to showcase his unselfish and giving personality than by showcasing it in tag team competition. His first long-time partner would be Paul Jones, Paul Frederick, his given name, was born in Port Arthur, Texas in 1942. He was trained by the book of the Houston Territory, Paul Bosch. Bosch named him Young Paul Jones, so as not to be confused with the existing Paul Jones. He would do his mentor the honour of working and becoming more famous than his namesake. When he became an active wrestler, he would split his time between Mid-Atlantic working for Crockett and Bosch in Houston. He would settle in the Mid-Atlantic region in the mid-70s and was considered a man with a heavy mat reputation. He seemed to be the ideal partner for Jung Steamboat, in the same mould, experience, and with the ready-made feuds from his years in the territory to bring to as a backstory. Their initial focus would be the NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team titles, a title still set up for JCP by the NWA in 1968. 
He'd been the lever to the tag team success for many teams and was a prestigious title. Former champs included Rip Hawk and Swede Hansen and the Anderson brothers, Gene and Ollie, who had held the title seven times. Jones himself was a three-time champion with Nelson Royal, Bob Bruggers and Tiger Conway Jr. The champions of the time would be Greg the Hammer Valentine and Nature Boy Ric Flair. After a month-long reign, Jones and Steamboat would take the titles in Greensboro, North Carolina on August 22, 1977. The already over Jones coming to the rescue of the younger Steamboat when needed fueled their popularity, Steamboat bringing a whole new range of athletic maneuvers from the martial arts background that played on his mixed heritage. There was no point in being called the Dragon if he didn't. Equally, Valentine and Flair were the perfect foils for Steamboat and Jones. Both young and up-and-coming Mac technicians, it gave both sides a chance to showcase their ring ability while Valentine and Flair could hone their heeled chops. Valentine described the team as, We saw just sort of meshed. Rick was more the faster and the flyer around the ring, and I was the slower and a little to the ground, and together we were the perfect combination. The fans of the Carolinas, who favoured a pure wrestling athletic, lapped it up. It would also set up the long-term feud with Flair that would be on and off for the next 15 years. Flair was the lightning rod to the wrestling success in JCP. After his air accident that had left Johnny Valentine paralysed, John was Rick's first long-time partner, Greg was brought in about a year after the accident, and Rick, with a broken back in three places, he set himself the task of getting to the top of the ladder and was willing to work with anyone to get there. There was a genuine emotional investment in the future of those matches, whichever players were on the sidelines. Steamboat and Flair were the future. Over the next two years, Jones and Steamboat would dominate the Mid-Atlantic titles. They would hold them for over a year, dropping them to Flair and Big John Sturdy in October of 78, an unheard of length of time even for a secondary title reign. Tracking back slightly and crashing in on their success, in April 78, Jones and Steamboat would take their first NWA Mid-Atlantic version World Tag Team titles in a tournament to decide the new champion as former champs of Valentine and Flair had been stripped of the belts for constantly avoiding title loss through disqualification defeat. They would hold and defend the title concurrently, which showed some inconsistency because when the Andersons had held both titles some years before, they had been forced to vacate the lesser straps. This time it was a sign that the face champions would defend two titles against all comers. They would lose their world titles to Baron Von Raschke and Greg Valentine in June of 78. They would gain the Mid-Atlantic titles in November of 78 when dropping them to the power team of Big John Studd and Kempatera. Steamboat would regain them again with Dino Bravo in 79, but the team had run its course and established Steamboat's tag team credentials. Jones was getting to the end of his run as a wrestler and knew it. A storyline opportunity, story opportunity to set up his post-wrestling career was on the horizon. The long-time partners found themselves to be the last competitors in a twin-ring battle royal. Jones turned heel on Steamboat and eliminated him. Not long after, he would be the leader of Paul Jones's army and the most hated man in mid-Atlantic region, filling a role filled by the Grand Wizard in New York, the perennial management thorn in the babyface side of the company. Steamboat would benefit hugely. As his feuds for the single titles pushed him further up the card, another youngster who had a remarkable similar balance in the professional wrestling style had come to Mid-Atlantic. Jay Youngblood was born Stephen Nicholas Romero, the son of Ricky Romero in Amarillo, Texas in 1955. Growing up in the Funks territory, he would debut as the Master Silver Streak, alongside his two wrestling brothers Mark and Chris, would make a name for himself in the North Texas Company. Moving east, he would set up shop as a workhorse babyface in Mid-Atlantic, seeing another pairing that pushed the white meat babyface heat. George Scott paired him with Ricky Steamboat, and they would set tag team wrestling on fire in the territory. In the five years the team would be together, from their initial teamwork in 1979 until Steamboat left the NWA in 1983, they would hold the NWA World Tag Team Championships five times. In the history of those belts, which lasted from 1975 as JCP until the NWCW was bought out from the WWE in 2000, and they were within the WCW World Tag Team titles, only four teams reign above Youngblood and Steamboat, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Harlem Heat, the Steiner Brothers, and the Rock and Roll Express. Genuine tag team royalty, in a company and territory that always believed in its tag team division, in large part thanks to Jones and Steamboat, Youngblood and Steamboat, 
and the wrecking crew. Steamboat and Youngblood tapped into a market that few others of their time could do. Being good-looking young men stood them in good stead when it came to the female portion of their audience. Watching TV matches from that era, you are struck by the sheer shrill volume of the women in attendance. As Ricky removes his gi and Jay's headdress, making passing nods to their backgrounds, there is an audible feminine pop. An even bigger one when Jay unleashes the first of many open-hand chops. The noise would only drop when their opponents were on the offensive. Willing their men on, it seems the teenage women of the Carolinas would be very happy punters indeed. When the hot tag came, it would be deafening. This universal appeal would ensure that the prominent in George Scott's mind as he booked the territory for the long haul. Victory would come from an aerial finisher. Youngblood would win a tag in Steamboat and then, using the top rope for momentum, slingshot him onto his prone opponent. Not particularly flashy by today's standards, but the time was when the flying crossbody was a match winner. It was state of the art. They began their reign of title dominance in 1979 upon ending Steamboat's former partner, upending Steamboat's former partner, the now heel Paul Jones and Baron von Raschke. It was a heated feud as only two former allies can bring to the table. Refusing a title match, Steamboat and Youngblood laid out Jones and Raschke, painting a yellow streak down their backs. Steamboat's new dance partner would be there for the long haul, and that first run would end five months later to the hands of another tag legend, Ray Stevens and Greg the Hammer Valentine. Stevens would be a long-term foe for the pairing, just as Flair had been before. They would get the titles back in May of 1980, having righted the wrong of their dubious title loss. Stevens would bounce back with another partner, this time Superfly Jimmy Snooker. They would take the belts in the June of 1980. For two years, Youngblood and Steamboat would be out of the title picture, working on other projects. Steamboat had a heated feud with Ric Flair over the Mid-Atlantic TV title. He also moved into the feud with on-screen mentor Wahoo Daniels. The feud that would establish them as the greatest tag team in the Mid-Atlantic era would come along in 1983. With the first Starcade on the horizon, Mid-Atlantic began lining up every possible drawing card they could to feature every possible combination that would pull in a crowd. While the headliner, Slick Rick's Flair for the Gold, cage match with Harley Race for the £10 of gold would be the key attraction, depth was important to bring every possible set of eyes. This just wasn't to show the wrestling fans of the South how lucky they were, it was to make as much money as possible, and it was a political power play within the NWA, to show that Mid-Atlantic was now the home base of the NWA champion Flair, and that Mid-Atlantic could carry the weight of being the lead promotion of the NWA. Looking at the line for that card, they had to deliver the best matches they could, and add a obligation to the fellow board members to do the best job possible. Abdullah the Butcher and Carlos Colon were shipped in from Puerto Rico. Great Kabuki defended his NWA World Television title against Charlie Brown, Jimmy Valant under mask. Looking at that card now, it is not just loaded from mid-Atlantic point of view, it had everything. It would also be the blow-off to the best tag team feud going in wrestling. Steamboat and Youngblood versus Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Jack was a former NWA champion, arguably the best technical wrestler of his generation, and bearing in mind that generation included Terry and Dory Funk Jr., as well as Harley Race and Vern Gagne, and that is saying a lot. Jerry was equally adept in the ring, but had perhaps more of a mind for business, as his later day travels as the stooge of Vince McMahon guiding hand during the Attitude Era would show. It all began in September of 82, when Steamboat and Youngblood won the titles back from Sergeant Slaughter and Don Canode in Greensboro. And that's where we end Steamboat's 12 tag titles for today. There will be more to come, do not worry. But that is the first part of this particular story. Thank you for listening to Telling Stories today. My name's James Trupin. You can find the Trupin Show channel at Trupin Show on Twitter, the Trupin Show on Facebook, and the Trupin Show on Patreon, where you can keep it free forever for everyone. The music is by Sheriff Lone Star and Deputies of Heartbreak called Salmon Salad Boogie. You can find them at Bandcamp forward slash Sheriff Lone Star. <laughs>